Good morning, good morning. Welcome to another episode of the Early Birds Podcast. It is 7.07 a.m. Today, we have a special guest, Aaron Sapersky from Estate Sales. How are you doing this morning, sir? Man, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me on here. I got your name right. It's close enough. Where, where was it? It's Aaron Sapersky. Sapersky. I literally said it three times before <laughs> we started on that for that reason alone. Thank you for correcting me. I appreciate you. It's very important. Um, so you and I connected very, very recently. Uh, yeah. I think we hit it off. Yeah. Really good conversation. Got to know you as a human being, and your story is super fascinating to me, yeah. and one that you're obviously now sharing more and more and more, and I'd love to kind of just dive right into it and get everybody understanding of what you do from the estate sales side. Yeah. So first, you know, what I do right now in business is I help people downsize when they're either going into assisted living or their family has passed away. And we sell everything that someone owns from the, you know, furniture to art to collectibles to antiques. We sell everything, whether you have a house full of brand new furnishings or you have, you know, I was just in a home yesterday in Detroit. Lady lived there 84 years, which is a long time to live in one house. And uh, old in an old historic district filled with antiques. Amazing, amazing house. So we'll help that family sell every single thing inside that home, whether it's through auction, estate sale, private buyers, things like that. So I, I got to hear a lot of the, the cool stuff, you know, and the crazy stuff and potentially illegal stuff. So <laughs> we'll share some of that throughout the podcast. For but sure. can you can you walk through, like, how did you even get into this space? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I was thinking about it. And back when I was a kid, you know, I grew up, there was a trailer park in between 12 and 13 mile and on Southfield Road. And that's where I grew up. And um, I remember at times, you know, that Farmer Jack back there that used to be, we used to go dumpster diving as kids. We always wanted to find treasure because we didn't have much. We didn't have anything. And um, I remember being a kid and seeing um, our church bring food at Thanksgiving in bags, you know, the canned food drives and things like that. And I didn't realize that, like, we were donating to those. But I didn't realize we were also the recipient of things like that. Um, so I never asked for anything as a kid. I never asked. I Like, one time I looked at a candy bar, and my mom said, you can have that. I was like, no, dude. I do not want to break our family. <laughs> yeah. Like, I had a very, very cognizant of our money situation. Um, so when I started doing estate sales, I saw that there was treasure the first day that i worked um i was helping doing a clean out i was a kid i was helping doing a clean out cleaning out a garage into a dumpster and um the people i was working for they found a jacket in the basement and this jacket was disgusting you would have never touched it um and they they were all excited they were like wow we found this amazing thing and i'm like what the hell is that i'm like that's disgusting and they sold it that night they put it on ebay they accepted an offer from japan for like seventy five hundred dollars for that one how old were you i was 18 okay so 18 years old you see this gross jacket yeah i see i got paid a hundred dollars for slaving away (laughs) all day and i loved it like i was down for it but i got paid a hundred dollars that day for just like slaving away and i saw this gross jacket sell for seventy five hundred dollars that would have been thrown in a dumpster by me or you and so i realized at that moment it flipped and i was like holy shit there's money and stuff and it's the stuff that people don't know about is where all the money is. It's not in the things that you might bring me over and you're like, oh, we have this beautiful china set. Nobody wants it. You know, it's that weird thing in the basement or attic that you guys would just throw away that ends up being worth five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. And that's where my specialty has been growing over the past, you know, 10, 12 years is spotting those specific items in a home 
uh, what is valuable and what is not. So your your company in, in a very short period of time, right? Ten, yeah. ten, ten years. Yeah. You guys are one of the largest. Hundred percent. Is that correct? I would say we're the largest in the United States. A state sale, privately owned a state sale company. Absolutely. And that's in ten short years. So yeah. you talked about where where you grew up, right? And yeah. obviously nothing wrong with it. That's just your upbringing. We're all raised in a different environment. Yeah. For you though, you were a, a high school dropout. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that yeah. story. So from there, you know, my mom was trying to figure out what to do with us. She had two kids. She had me and my sister, and both of us were growing up in that environment. Even though we were in the trailer park, they lived there in that specific spot because we were able to go to good schools. We were able to go to Birmingham schools. Still failed. I still got, I got expelled in fourth grade, you know, starting, and, I was, I, and then I got held back in fourth grade as well. Um, and from there, sixth grade is when I started using drugs. I was 13 years old. Um, when I started smoking weed and then by 14, I was doing ecstasy, um, by, you know, 14 and a half, I was almost dead. Um, there was this guy who was giving all of my friends methadone and which is what you use to get off heroin. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'd walk into these, this house and there's just zombies sitting on the couches and everyone's high and it's like, what the hell is going on here? And I'm doing stuff too. And I'm, you know, I'm. 14 years old if you if you look at a 14 year old next time and you're like how the hell does that happen but that's what happens in a lot of our part society and so I was struggling one night this guy I was with him the guy that was giving people methadone and we went to go get like black lights from some girl for to rave and party and do ecstasy and um he gave these girls methadone well they ended up in the hospital and almost died that night wow. from taking that he skipped town everyone blamed me that I got super sick I was like out of school for three weeks so sick and I have really bad asthma and that was the time when my mom had a guy who was like had the perfect solution to my problem he had this rehab center in California that was really dives in and handles what is the problem that that person is facing what is what is it that they're missing that makes them not valuable to society and then they fix all those things, whether it's integrity and honesty or communication or education or whatever. And so one day my mom leaves and she puts down this pamphlet and she's like, hey, check this place out while I'm gone. And I look online. It's got beautiful palm trees mm -hmm. and a pool. I've never left Michigan. I'm like in this situation. So I'm like, I was on a flight next day. I was 14 years old, put on a plane to California by myself for rehab. And um, while I was there, it was probably... It wasn't one of those programs that just take insurance. It wasn't a psych base like, hey, in four days, your insurance runs out, get out of here, or 12 days or whatever it is. It was however long it takes to get through the program. So I was out there for like three months and uh, it totally changed my life. And when my mom, when I came back, she was like, you don't have to go back into that environment. She knew that environment was not helping me. School was not helping me. It was failing me. And so she let me get out of school and start doing other studies and start traveling. I traveled the US, traveled every major city by the time I was 18, went to Puerto Rico, did uh, all sorts of stuff. So that's sort of how I ended up taking over in control of my own life from the age of 14, 15 through 18 when I met this guy that did estate sales. And in that time, I, I, I grew a ton after getting off drugs. You know, man, it it, uh, it makes me very emotional cause just because, uh, you know, I've been through my own own journey and then I hear something like yours. And then I also know the statistics yeah. behind people that go into rehab 
and it's like less than one percent yeah you know i forgot what it was it's, a, it's an absurd number of the people that actually the rehab is successful for and so for me just to kind of listen to you speak about it i know you've gone through your fair share of pain and yeah. learning to accept and go through it but here's what's what's crazy about you you're a warrior Warrior. Like there is nothing in this life. I'm just being real with you. Yeah. I, I don't know what can be thrown your way anymore. I just don't. I'm with you. Like, I think that a lot of people, and I think it's a muscle. Like, I think people have to work it. They have to get up early. They have to crush it. They have to keep going. And sometimes it sucks. Like we were just talking about before this, it sucks to have to take that call. It sucks to have to put in that effort, but that's what it takes to make it. Sorry. There's no other option, you know? And I agree. I think that, you know, if you like, I was, I was like, I've just been running through my mind at the system and the educational system and the drugs and everything like that. And they put kids on drugs these days without any, there's no physical test. There's no blood test. There's no anything to tell. There's no chemical test for a chemical imbalance right now. And so it's just thoughts. It's like, Hey, I think that you have this, here's some drugs. And the problem with that is, is that I guess I would say if you go to a doctor and you're told that you have these problems and they don't check your diet and tell you and put you on a fucking diet regimen and an exercise and sleep regimen first, then they're criminal in my, in my own, cause they just taking money from drug companies to put you on a drug without actually trying to fix you as a body and a person first. And, and the, and you know, what's crazy about that, that, that hits you so hard at home because of yeah. what happened to you, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. your journey. And it's so funny you say that I'll never forget. Um, I went and saw this, uh, this, he's basically just all neural, right. All, all about the brain, everything. Yeah. And I went to see him an old school doctor. I'll never forget. I walked in and I'm like, I got an imbalance and I got this and I got that, you know, I'm telling him all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. So he starts running tests. He starts doing stuff. And I'm, I'm probably 23 years old at the time. And after I do all this test, you know, he pulls me into the room. He looks at me. He goes, uh, let me ask you something. I said, yeah. He goes, uh, are you working out like, like you used to? I said, no. He goes, do me a favor. I need you to start working out. I need you to start going to the gym. I need you to start playing basketball, jumping up and down. He goes, come see me 30 days after you do that. And then from there, we'll take it. I looked at him. What are you talking about? He goes, you need to exercise. Yeah. Swear to God. Yeah. This guy went through, did all the it's testing. You know, brilliant. Yeah. So. At first, I'm upset. You know, I'm pissed off. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, but now yeah. at this time, though, I used to bodybuild. I used to get into shape. Okay. I was I was huge. I was jacked. You know, yeah. started working, making money, and so you know, I gave up that part, and I was I'm eating good. You know, I was <laughs> I never used to eat good like that. So right. I'm buying these steaks, and I'm I'm eating out every yeah. night, and I'm drinking, and I'm drinking high end whiskey, and all all this, and I, I did that for you know two years. I started making money early, so for two years I was making money, and now enjoying myself and not lifting. Sure enough, I start working out, getting back into the gym. What happens? Of course, no. Sh I start to feel better. Right. I go to see him. He starts laughing at me a little bit, you know, but it's it's good because to your point, you know, you need that person in your corner that's not just going to let you stop making excuses. Stop yeah. saying you have a chemical imbalance. You don't right. know what the hell you're talking about. Right. I'm not a doctor. Exactly. Go run the test. Go figure it out. Yeah. So that's really fascinating that you talked about that. Yeah. I think it's really important that people, they look at that, especially as entrepreneurs, like we run ourselves into the ground and I've done that me like too. over the past 10 years, I've just run myself into the ground to the point where I just got blood testing recently because I'm figuring out every single thing that's wrong with me because I've worked so much on my mental and now I'm going to focus on my physical. And she was like, you can't work out right now. Your adrenals, because what you do is you wake up, you don't sleep. You wake up at four o'clock in the morning, you drink massive ass coffee, which is just squeezing your adrenal glands. And so they're worn. They, they don't work anymore. 
And so that's why you're at 3 p.m. just crashing. Your, your whole energy level is crashing. And so we can fix that. Like the body can heal itself with the right vitamins and supplements. Um, but you got to no more coffee. Like you can't, you have to sleep. You have to do these things. And a normal like person would go to the doctor and just be like, well, I'm depressed or I'm like, I'm running out of energy and I'm, and then they just get put on drugs instead of, so I don't know. I think it's super important as entrepreneurs to care even more about your health. I think everyone should obviously, but because we're the ones that are actually, you know, I saw your CEO in here, you're in here, like everyone's in here. It's before, you know, it's 6:45 AM. Yeah. Like, like that's what we do. So, and you'll find the rest of the teams running it. My team will get there at nine, you know, and they'll look tired. They'll be like, "What the fuck you do last night?" Yeah. <laughs> they'll be playing video games, drinking, doing all this shit, but their mind's not in the right place to actually achieve what they need to. So, and you have to run on optimum levels. Like I try right. to explain that to people, you know, and, and I have my fair share. You know, I'm not a sleeper. I'm, I'm yeah. a three to four hour a night kind of guy. Yeah. And I know how optimal I have to be, so I'm very cautious. Like having a cocktail, you know, having anything at all. I, I'm I'm all water, just tons of water as much as I can. My energy drink, you know, no sponsorship yet. But if Monster, if you're looking and you're looking for a sponsorship, just know I'm here for you. Okay, yeah, holla at me exactly. So back into the the estate sales because I think people get tapped into like who you are and why you are the way you are, and I think that's such an important piece. So a little curious if you could share share with the group to the estate sales and. And how that's transpired and grown into what you have today, but can you can you talk about a couple things? Number one, just some of the fines that you've had, and then For number sure. two, some of the illegal fines okay. that you've okay. seen, the, the, the meat and potatoes. There's like one that pops up in my mind that I'm like, I don't think I can share this, but we'll see if I do. We'll see if I actually put it on a digital recording <laughs> that I probably shouldn't. But um, man, we we end up in the craziest situations. People are dealing with this end of life and you you don't know what people have in their homes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the craziest shit you've ever seen. You know, everything from we had a sale a few years ago where grandma, you know, it was a grandma house. Everything was just filled with grandma stuff. And like anything, like the quintessential, if you think of your grandma's house, that's where this was. And uh, so it's pretty basic and regular doll collection, things like that. In the attic... We, you know, actually not in the attic. So we're in the basement and I see this thing poking out of the rafters in the basement and I go up there and I start pulling down rifles and guns and revolvers and like stuff from the 1800s. And I'm like, this lady had like 30 guns. This like 94 year old lady had 30 guns stuffed in the rafters. And then um, when we were going through her Christmas stuff, you never like, you never know what you're going to find anywhere so you're going through the christmas stuff in that same house and there was a little christmas tin sitting next to ornaments and in it was like a ten thousand dollar rolex watch it had twenty thousand dollars in jewelry thirty thousand dollars in gold coins and just this like fifty thousand dollar you know little tin just sitting in the christmas stuff and that's where my team comes in because if we don't find that then it walks out the door with a customer Or, you know, if our staff aren't honest, then it walks out the door with them. We're trusted to go into people's homes and sell and find all the value that we can and then realize that value. So on that deal, I took all of that. This was, there was no family on this estate. It was being handled by a lawyer um, just right up the road. And I sat and argued with him for about 45 minutes, you know, and I was a lot younger at the time. And I ended up, because he didn't want to pay me my commission on it. He didn't want to pay us because he was like, this is just stuff I can sell. I'm like, dude, we have a contract 
and we found I'm bringing it to you to let you know that, hey, I'm going to sell this. Or you can pay me my commission. Either way is fine. Um, I ended up getting, he after 45 minutes, he pushed it back across the table and he was like, go for it. And then that man comes to every single one of my Bloomfield Hills and Birmingham estate sales and he tells every customer what we did for him on that sale because it was just something that like hit him so hard that we found this $50,000 and that was this big and we brought it and was like, here, but we're going to sell it. You know, well, it's, it's the honesty piece of it too. And to your point, also yeah. you not holding, you holding your ground, right? Right. That's an important part because this is a business people don't know. And for yeah. you, what people don't understand, you've had to learn right. to what to watch for. I, I can't walk into a room and look and go, Ooh, that's probably worth 10 grand. You know, right. I don't have that skill. Right. How do you develop yeah. that? Well, that was something that was really what drove me to this business was I was, you know, after working for that estate sale company and I was selling collections that people would send him from all over the country. So there was this old out West guy, guy out in, you know, Nevada or something that was sending him boxes and boxes of old silver from the 1800s and just the most amazing like Native American stuff and things like that you've ever seen. And so I was selling and every time I'd get a different collection or I'd sell something else for him, I'd buy a book on it. I'd personally buy the book. He wasn't paying me to buy the book, but I wanted to know everything about it. And there's books on everything. Like my first book was an antique beaded purse book, you know, and not that I need a beaded purse book, but that's, that's what I had. So I wanted to learn about it. But after I left that company, I started to buy I, What I did was that next day after I quit, um, my wife, you know, we had an apartment, we had expenses and she was in college, not working. And so I had to figure out how to make money. I went to Kinko's that next day and I printed up a bunch of half page flyers, cut them up and spray glue. And I went all over the city of Detroit with spray glue on lampposts, at gas stations, putting them at liquor stores up into eight miles, seven miles, six mile, you know, Plymouth everywhere, all throughout the hood everywhere. And it's just said, we buy antiques, all list of all the stuff I knew about. And then my phone number. And within a week I started getting calls all over the city. And I was going in attics and basements. And the thing about Detroit that people don't realize, Detroit is a very old city. You don't actually find stuff like that in Florida or something. But you find it in Detroit, Chicago, New York area. So there's amazing things just sitting in attics and basements. Just like yesterday, the 84-year-old lady. Like that attic is full of stuff from her and then her parents who were before her. Um, So I was buying things. But the problem is, is when... You go in and you're buying something to resell it, you have to try to get the best price you can, mm-hmm. especially if you're not sure exactly if it's real or if exactly what it's going to go for. You have to get the best deal you can. So this put me in a moral dilemma that I hated where I was like, I have to go into your grandma's house and find the valuable things. And now I'm going to offer her as least as possible uh, to make money because I have to make money to feed my family. So what's right or wrong on that, right? What is a good profit margin? What is a fair profit margin? There's no rules, right? Mm -hmm. So I hated that. And so after about a month of doing that, I was like, I want to be on the other side. I want to be behind the door at the estate. So helping that person realize the most value out of their stuff Mm. instead of trying to get the most value for myself. Yes. Now I'm trying to get the most value for them and I just get a piece of it. And that means I don't have to go into attics and basements and try to, you know, negotiate with someone. I'm there and I'm like, I'm going to get you the most value for all your belongings. 
and sell everything and then just get my piece. And, and you know, the, the crazy thing about what you just said is, is to your point, even when that you were having that initial call with the talk conversation with the lawyer, yeah, they, they don't know either, you right. know? So they have a guy like you that's coming in and it's, I mean, listen, they don't know who you are. Right. Yeah. And so granted now you've built your reputation and you know, the stories you've told me and people that I know have worked with you all say the same thing. You're just an honest person. You're yeah. always going to share, but at the end of the day, you're the one that knows the value. Right. So why shouldn't you collect right. a commission on that? Right. Right. When there's, when there's something like that, that's valuable. You're the one that's helping them understand the value. They yeah. didn't know they weren't going to sell it. They, they were going to give it away. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the time they do. It, they do. And, they and do. you know, one, one of the things too, I, I'd like to talk about like even some mistakes. And I yeah. think you said that, um, when you and I spoke in Florida, you said that's your biggest fear. Yeah. is literally making a mistake and you know not pricing something out the right way yeah uh, can you talk about a story of where that's happened to yeah. you and yeah. then hey how do you fight through that to make sure it doesn't happen again yeah for sure so you never know no one's going to ever know anything like even the most well-rounded appraiser on the planet is never going to know every single subject and usually what happens is appraisers or people are, are focused on one subject they're like i'm a professional in jewelry or diamonds or something like that you see that often mm -hmm. or house appraisals is a good example yeah. of that like they yeah. only do their one thing and so um for us we have to know everything because we're going to walk into a house and we have to know enough about everything to then research further so we have to know enough about art enough about antiques enough about silver enough about furniture um to be able to then go find the answers and there was this one sale a long time ago that we did that the lady only gave us two days to do the whole setup and house she lived right by cranbrook and the great thing about michigan that people don't realize is the history that we have here because of cranbrook and the different you know universities around here um with you know, U of M right down the street and things like that is that we have a amazing mid-century past with some of the biggest names and architects and designers in mid-century history. You know, Errol Saarinen, uh, Charles and Ray Ames met at Cranbrook, they, you know. Um, so you find things. So this house we were in, she gives two days to do the setup. She made us bring everything out to the basement. I had to figure out like parking restrictions. We had to get valet for the sale. And we just didn't have enough time to do the job right. But the lady, the client didn't give us enough time. She was like, this has to be out. And so we're setting up stuff and we're just displaying it. We're trying to do it as fast as possible, price it as fast as possible. And I see people run into the sale and we open the doors and they go after all the pottery. And all the pottery only had like, they had tags on it for like $4, $2, $5. So you wouldn't think it's anything. Nope. I didn't think it's anything. Um, but what happened was this lady's house, she lived there since the 1950s. So that pottery was old Cranbrook potters Ooh. from the 50s that was their student work when they sold at like student fairs. Wow. So it was really good stuff. Yeah. Um, it was really good stuff, you know. So some of it was like there's an artist, Clyde Burt, you know. So we probably sold something of his for $5. That should have been 150 you know, or something like that. So that's, and that's painful when you kind of realize when, and that's really one of the gauges as we look at what people are running after. This one, another sale that we had in Clarkston, it's a massive sale ton of guns like a whole basement full of tools i think it was like a hundred thousand dollar plus sale and the first person that runs in the door because people line up this thing's like black friday every single week it's crazy and first person runs in the door runs to the closet and grabs a vhs player this is in the box is a v like i'm like what the f is that 
And I look it up as he's standing there because I can read the box. And it was the very first Sony VHS player. No. And worth like $500 or something ridiculous, you know? And we probably had priced $20 um, because we that was like the last thing yeah, on our mind yeah. was a VHS player. So that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Like it's the things that people don't think of that are worth money. Back when I was shopping estate sales and I would go in and try to find things to buy, I would always go for the kitchen because in old mid-century homes, the flatware can be thousands of dollars, just the silverware and things like that. So I would I would hit almost every time I would find something that no one else was running to, but that was worth a ton of money. What what was your biggest biggest Man. find? I mean I think my, monetarily right monetarily um, was last year or two years ago we did a deal where we went out to Beverly Hills California mm-hmm. and um, and actually Indian Wells California in the same neighborhood of Bill Gates lives out okay. there. Um, it's called the Reserve. It's a golf community and. Bill Gates is at the workout center with everyone else. Gorgeous, gorgeous home. Gorgeous home. Okay. Yeah. Amazing home. <laughs> like, you know, all to, it's in the desert overlooking like pool, infinity pool, everything, but it's from the seventies. So everything in there is from the seventies. So in that home, I would say that home was the best collectively because this guy had crafted or like got silver sculptures made back in the 80s so he bought like bullion bars of silver he took it to a like a bronze sculptor it was like turn this into elephants turn this into giraffes turn this into so he had like five sculptures of animals that that ended up being like that was one hundred fifty thousand dollars just in animals for five sculptures for five sculptures so and i'm getting like half of that you know so i was like (laughs) That was amazing, but I'm sitting out by the pool and I'm sitting there on the phone and I'm just kind of like feet are up and I'm just taking a break. And I see the sculpture that's kind of turned over and um, I'm like, I see, a, I see a signature on it. I'm like, oh, what is that? And it's kind of all sun faded and bird pooped on and stuff like that. And I don't think the guy knew at all. This thing had been sitting there from 1970. It was a really famous English artist named Lynn Chadwick. And some of his stuff sells for millions and millions of dollars. This one, since it was sitting outside for the last 40 years, the leg was broken on it. We still sold it for about a hundred grand for that one piece. So it on top of the other, on top five. of the other, I mean, we sold like a bunch more out of there too. It was just like thing after thing after thing that was good. So what's interesting is there's artists that were here at Cranbrook. There's a guy named Paul Evans that did furniture, and some of his like a sideboard his like a kitchen sideboard that you would are like a dining room sideboard is like three hundred fifty thousand dollars for just one piece of his work and you f- you find stuff like that around here which is crazy it's just sitting in old homes and old attics or not attics but yeah places like that you know what's uh you know what's crazy to me people think this is luck right P- <laughs> people think your journey is luck people think this is like oh he got lucky yeah. my man is sitting there Forget forget your past for a second. Forget that whole journey, right? Yeah. You're sitting there going to Kinkos. You're cutting out. You're using spray glue. Yeah. You're going to Detroit. <laughs> you're cutting out these these Kinko things. You're putting them on walls. Yeah. You're waiting for phone calls. You're trying to take care of your, your wife, right? Who's in college, not working. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to feed your family. You're doing all that. High school dropout, by the way, okay? Right. Yet, people think this is luck. Yeah. There is. Yeah. I'm sorry for whoever luck. listens to this. This is not luck. This is sheer will. This is a skill. This is this is just absolute wanting to dominate and figure out a path for himself. And that that's what he did. I I can't 
for me, excuses kill me. You know, I, I get it. People have crazy upbringings, you know? So what? So what? Look at yours. That's the past, That's, dude. Yeah. Yeah, like, what are we doing here now? That's, like, the biggest skill that an entrepreneur, anybody can have is to just put those pictures aside. Because all they are is pictures in your mind, dude. That's it. Just like a photograph would be sitting there. You wouldn't get emotional or, like, kill yourself or do anything because of the, that thing that's sitting there, uh, like a picture. So it's the same thing. It's just a picture. So you got all these pictures and images in your head, and they cause all this pain and drama. So what? Just put them away. Like, they're not here now. It's not real in present time. It's something that you keep mocking up in your past, that it's there. And who knows? Maybe maybe it's not all there. Maybe you thought that that was painful, and it really wasn't. Or maybe it was even more painful than you experienced, it and you got through it. I don't know if that made any sense, but I think that it's the most important thing to stay here right now, looking towards the future instead of the past, is I guess what I was trying it, to listen, say. Listen, it makes a lot of sense because here's, here's why it makes sense. To your point. If I see a picture of me when I was, you know, 10 years old, it's just a picture. Right. Do I remember it briefly? Of course I remember it briefly, right? Yeah. I remember being 10. I remember a couple of experiences and memories. But that is not who I am today, right? Right. It's not who I was when I was 12, 14, 15, 17, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. I think you're spot on. It's just a glimpse. It's a it's a photo, right? right. Memories are just a photo of the past. And I was I was actually, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson, yeah. somebody I listen to quite a bit. He he uh, just said something about memories. And he said, memories aren't for you to put yourself back in a position where you were. He says, memories are simply there so you can pull them when you need to remember and learn something to push yourself forward through a more difficult challenge today. Right. And that's what I believe in, to your point. That's what my memories are, my upbringing, my struggles. It's when I deal with a struggle now, it's like, wait. I know how to process this. I know how to yeah. break this barrier. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're finishing up here. We're about uh, coming up on 30 minutes. And I, cool. I always end it the same way. All right. And so I'm going to end it with you. But with you, I'm going to go back a little further. Uh, okay. Usually I talk about 18-year-old self. But for you, I'm going to talk to your 14, 15, 16-year-old self. All right. Yeah. We're, we're talking to Aaron. So all of a sudden, we have a state sale Aaron today. Yeah. He is driving through these neighborhoods. Okay. And he ends up in the Southfield area, right in between this trailer park. And he sees himself running around and he's looking and he's going, "Uh oh, going to get some methadone, right? Going to run through, going to figure that out. And you get to talk to him for just a minute. You get to tell him one or two things. What would you tell him? I would define the words. I would pull out a dictionary and define the words integrity and ethics. And I would make him define those words and look up the actual definitions and then make sentences on those fucking words and then clear the derivation as well of where those words come from. And I think that would have snapped him out of it because I think that it's miseducation from the beginning. And that's all I was missing was just the right education. And those are found in certain words. So ethics and integrity. And then I would tell him never, ever doubt or change your integrity on something. So that's what I'd do. This is another episode of the early birds podcast. And for those of you that are going to tune in and they're going to listen to this, you heard this man's journey. You heard his struggle. You heard his pain. And now look at him today. This is simply by ethics, integrity. This is by staying focused, having sheer will and figuring it out his way. And there's nothing wrong with figuring it out your way. Not everybody way. There's not one way for everybody. That's not how this world works. That's not how success works. There's a journey and a path for everybody. And if you are struggling, 
I'm telling you right now, dig deep within and find an opportunity for you to be great because there is an opportunity everywhere for everybody. I appreciate you very much. Thank you for being on the show. And thank you. Thank you again. This is another episode of the Early Birds Podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful morning. Take care.